Welcome to the Radically Christian Bible Study Podcast, where here we have one goal, learn to love like Jesus. I am your host, Wes McAdams, and we are so glad that you have taken the time to join us today. We are continuing our series entitled Hope for the Future of the Church. As we look forward to the future in the church, there's many of us who can feel kind of anxious about the future and wondering what does the future hold as we look at our current situation and we sort of try to project what the future might look like. For many of us, that can be a scary and a daunting and even anxiety-producing activity. And so we want to do this series to encourage people to have hope to look to the future with hope, realizing that all is not lost, that God's people win. And so we've been talking about several different subjects, several different areas where we might have a tendency to be anxious and afraid as we look to the future. And today we're going to talk about the idea of doctrinal differences. As we look at our own fellowship or as we look at our own congregation, we might recognize and realize that there are many different views, some different views on trivial matters and some different views on very important doctrinal matters. And so are we going to continue to split and splinter over everything that divides us, over every difference of opinion or difference of doctrine that we have, or is there a way to have unity? And so today we're going to talk to my friend Scott Elliott, uh, the preacher from the LaGrange Church of Christ, and talk about how we can have hope in this area. Scott, thanks for joining us to get today, brother. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. I am excited about this this conversation. I'm excited for the the hope and the encouragement that you will uh, bring to us today. Uh, so if you were to just sort of take a, a pulse of the church today and, and just sort of look at the way things are, how would you describe it? Maybe the good, maybe the bad, maybe the the uncomfortable. What what are some of the things that you would point out about doctrinal differences and and the way things are today in the church? Yeah, so there are certainly changes within generations. Sometimes we ourselves change. And I think what we see now is uh, doctrinal differences aren't as important maybe to some of the younger generations as they were to older generations. Uh, Labels don't always matter as much, at least certain labels. So for instance, uh, liberal versus conservative, I think we have more people who are interested in being biblical. And so they may take a position that at one, you know, one position may look a little bit more liberal. Another position may look a little bit more conservative. They're not really interested in the labels. They're interested in what does the text say? What does the Bible say? And I'm going to follow that wherever it leads me. And I think that's a, a wonderful thing. That, that's great. You know, um, I think that we are beginning to recognize the absurdity of some of the divisions of the past, you know, uh, dividing over, kitchens or uh, what version of the Bible you use or even the Holy Spirit. You know, I think people are looking back and saying some of that was just silly and we need to get past that. I think there are some more serious divisions that we're beginning to look back on and we're realizing the gravity of them, that there was sin there. So for instance, race, we can look back on that now and see how divided the church was and, and recognize that was a big problem. You know, we were wrong and we want to try to correct that. Now, correcting that isn't always easy. We're still, even though we recognize the sin, uh, lots of congregations are still divided on that issue. I I think when people show up at church nowadays, the first questions they are asking 
aren't necessarily doctrinal questions. Instead, they're looking for fruit. You know, are you serving the poor? Are you helping people in your community? Are you following Jesus? Which again, doctrinal questions are important. We need to ask some doctrinal, we need doctrinal questions. We need to figure out where people are at. But again, seeing what people are doing, that's kind of the good. And so I, I do see more unity there. I think the bad or the ugly is that what's dividing us now is not so much doctrine as it is politics and things in the culture. Mm. And so we all know that we've been divided over masks, you know, a silly thing. Who could have imagined that we would divide over that? But churches have, and people have left churches because of that. Uh, we're dividing over issues in the world. There's, there's obviously a problem with our discourse, especially in this culture. You know, you think about James 3, verses 9 through 10, where James warns us about how we speak of other people, that we're speaking of someone who is created in the image of God. And even though they may be an awful, evil person, even though they may have done bad things, we need to be careful about how we speak to other people. And I think we need to just remember that as, as Christians, that we're given this command and others like it. Um, some people are cultural Christians, and they're leaving the church. We, we've seen that, I think, within uh, COVID, that numbers have dropped, and people really maybe didn't have as strong a tie uh, to the churches, what we thought um, that they had more or stronger ties to something in culture than the teachings of the church. You can look at Ryan Burge, for example. He's a, an interesting guy who throws out a lot of statistics, but he, he's been one of the things he's looked at is um, this label evangelical. And one of the things that he's noticed is how over the years, the people who claim the name evangelical are less and less likely to attend um, church services. So I think the numbers now are somewhere around 40% of the people who claim the, the label evangelical will only attend church uh, once a year or less. And so there's an issue there. You know, if we're seeking, it, it, you know, there can't be unity if we're not seeking first the kingdom of God. Um. If Jesus is not Lord, then we're not going to be able to, to be unified. And so um, that's kind of the good and bad of it, as I see it. Yeah, yeah. And you know, something that never really occurred to me until you were saying all of that, that even just defining the word doctrine, we have this tendency, don't we, to to sort of make that a very small category of things to say that these are issues of doctrine and these are other issues, whereas really doctrine is a very broad term that just means teaching. And and so it, it's it's interesting how almost all of our doctrinal divides over, not just over the decades, but over the centuries has been rooted in what are we, what are we focused on and what are we emphasizing? Because we could overlook certain differences of opinion or different views or different perspectives um, on on certain areas, but but the things that we are most passionate about and most myopically focused on, we we say, well, we can't disagree on those things. So for a long time, the big issues were things around the Trinity and, and the nature of God, the nature of Christ, the nature of the Holy Spirit. And so those things were very important doctrines. And I think what what's interesting that you pointed out, like you said, people are looking for fruit. 
people are looking for are you feeding the poor are you are you kind are you welcoming are you a multi-ethnic church you know these are questions that especially unbelievers or the unchurched are are if they're going to visit, if they're going to even consider the church, they want to know those things. And it's interesting that those are matters of doctrine as well. Those are, are doctrinal issues. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself are the key doctrines to Christianity. But for so long, we've emphasized other things. And so in Churches of Christ, we've emphasized you know, how to get saved, and how to worship. And those were our key doctrines that we we divided over or unified around. And, and then these other things, we're just like, well, we can take that or leave that, or we can have different views on. And I think you're right that it's, it's shifting now where we might be de-emphasizing some of these things, and maybe to our detriment. Uh, but we're also beginning to recognize that some of these key doctrines, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, these things that the New Testament emphasizes really should be key doctrines, and and maybe we're beginning to unify around those things. Oh, yeah, you're so right. And, and I think we, we have to understand that doctrine is this broad term. And Jesus recognizes this. You know, Jesus gives us the two great commands, you know, he doesn't turn around and say, well, they're all the same. You know, he says, no, there are some greater than others. He talks about the weightier matters, you know, and so we have to pay attention to those and, and figure out, hey, there are some doctrines that we can't compromise over. There are other things that are difficult passages of scripture where, you know, people struggle with how to interpret it, how to understand that. And we're just going to have to recognize that we're, we're all not going to agree on some of those. But on these weightier matters, on you know the nature of Christ, um, we can't disagree on those things. You know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that for so long, especially within churches of Christ, and that's what I'm speaking to because that's what I know. But but I think that we've had this idea that unity can only be achieved through doctrinal uniformity, that we're going to think the same and teach the same and and have the same ideas on everything. And But I'm glad you pointed that out, that that's just not going to be the case, whether it's because some people aren't as studied or aren't as mature, haven't thought about these things. Of course, they're not going to have the same opinions or views or doctrines as somebody who studied these out well. But then there's also the idea that even if you and I study for for years on a particular subject, we may still come to a different conclusion on those things. And and on some things, we have to say, yeah, we, we, we need to reach an agreement on these things. And then there are other areas where we can say, no, we can agree to disagree. We can have a difference of opinion, but yet still be unified. And, and I think figuring out, as you said, where those weightier matters are and where they're not are incredibly important. I, you brought up race and and about division, and we're going to do a, an entire episode on that at some point. But, but what gets me is that there were generations of of Christians who were emphasizing hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized, while segregating against. And and having having bitterness and hatred and and fear and animosity, not to mention the times people were lynched and killed and you know all of these things, they were doing these things that are 
absolutely condemned in Scripture, but yet saying and claiming that they had restored New Testament Christianity because there was an overemphasis on some of these doctrines and then a total ignorance of or apathy towards these other weightier matters of, of Scripture. Oh, yeah. And I think we see that in the Gospels as well. I think we have to keep reminding ourselves that what we read in the Bible is still absolutely true today, that human nature has not changed one bit, that Jesus encounters these people who knew the law absolutely well. You know, they, they, they knew all those laws, and but they missed the spirit of it. You know, and even some instances, you take John 8, were willing to kill a person, you know, because of it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think even that just acknowledging that that things like love and mercy and justice and unity, these are doctrines. <laughs> these are core doctrines of the church. And 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 that's not to say that baptism isn't important or worship isn't important or these other things aren't important because there is this tendency to say, "Oh, well they these don't matter." But even Jesus when he's talking about these weightier matters says that you should you should tithe your garden herbs you know to keep yeah. doing that but don't ignore these weightier matters and i think we have to sort of hold that hold that truth in in both hands yeah you're not going to get to good fruits without right doctrine you know so there there's mm. definitely a tie there yeah for sure so we've we've kind of danced around several different passages and ideas but but what are some as we think about living in unity with people that that don't share all of our views you know i i mean i don't care who it is we have hundreds of people in, in our congregation here at McDermott and and i know that if we were to sit down and and talk at length that with any given person i would eventually find something on which we disagree so how do we as you think about how we live in unity with people that have different views. What are some of the scriptures or the, the biblical ideas or the biblical passages that come to your mind that, that help you navigate that? Well, I've got quite a few. I'm, I try to narrow it down as the best I, I could. So I'm going to go through some of these, but I, I would just encourage anyone listening to this to begin to look up some of the passages on unity. It is amazing how many passages throughout the Bible that we have on unity. And I think a lot of times we just don't talk about it because we just assume, well, it's not going to happen. So let's just forget about it and move mm. on. But there are so many. I think to begin with, you've got to start with, in, in my mind, the crown jewel is John 17. And so it's this prayer that Jesus prays right before he's going to be arrested, right before he goes to the cross. And, and he prays for himself. He prays for the 12, but he prays for the church. And, and what does he pray there? He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, they also may be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. We just need to meditate on that, you know, and and, and we need to take Jesus seriously. Um, you know, Jesus says these radical things sometimes, and I think that we maybe think that they're so radical that, that we just think, oh, well, I can't attain that. But we have to have faith that what Jesus prays, what Jesus says, we can do this. And, and it's up to us to try to be unified with other Christians, just as Jesus and the Father um, are unified. And this is so 
that the world, you know, that, that will be an example to the world. And I think you have to go back and tie in John 13, 35 there, where he talks about love, you know, that how we love one another, that's what the world is going to see. And I think that love for one another um, is tied to the unity, you know, because he's, he's saying the world's going to look at you and they should see love and unity. Um, and, and again, you've already mentioned how we sometimes try to go about unity in a different way. But I think we have to begin with love. I think you have to look at Galatians 5, 19 through 21, that, that list of works of the flesh. And, and just take a moment and, and see what he describes there. You know, we can, you know, he begins that list. He talks about sexual immorality. And I think a lot of us can say, OK, you know, I've got that one. I, I, I could check that off my list. But then he starts talking about enmity, strife anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. It's all these words, which again, are, are somewhat similar, that they're talking about division, you know? And, and then he says at the end of that, um, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This isn't something that we can just push aside and say, you know, this isn't important. We've got to get serious about unity. Uh, one that I think is often misunderstood, a passage of Scripture, is 1 Corinthians 11. And, and this is where Paul is dealing with um, the Lord's Supper here. And I think a lot of people read this passage, as we often do, as sort of uh, people in the West, we, especially in America, we read it as individuals. you know, And so we understand Paul's talking about the Lord's Supper, and that we have to, um, you know, examine ourselves. And so we think this applies to personal sin. And if I have any personal sin in my life, I can't partake of the Lord's Supper. And that's not at all what Paul's talking about. Nobody's worthy to take the Lord's Supper. You know, it's, it's a means of grace. We, we all need it. What he's talking about is divisions among the church. And, and if you're divided as a church, then the whole church shouldn't take it. He says, you know, he gets very frank there. He's, if there's divisions among you, if there's factions among you, then what you're doing is not the Lord's Supper. And so we basically, if we're divided anyway, we're desecrating the Lord's Supper through our division. And, and that's the, the one reason not to take it. You know, um, we, we've got all of our problems and, and everything else that we're going to come to. And we, we need that grace at the Lord's table. But it's the divisions that he's worried about. I think we have to talk about grace, Ephesians 2.8, and we have to get a healthy understanding of grace. Now, obviously, we don't need cheap grace. It's not that we can just go out and do whatever we want. But, but we need to understand that we're going to be saved by grace. And even though I try my best to get every passage right, you know, I try my best to understand everything as God wants me to understand it, on the day I die, I'm sure there are going to be some things that I got wrong. And I am saved by God's grace. You know, mm -hmm. And we just have to understand that as, as Christians, that you know, there are some passages that are difficult. And maybe, you know, uh, I'm sure if we talked long enough, we would find some passage in Scripture that we didn't see eye to eye on. And we could talk about that and we need to, you know, we, we, we don't need to push aside truth. Truth is very important. Um, but if we talked for an hour and couldn't come to a conclusion, we have to understand that there's grace between us and that we can go on being brothers in Christ 
even though you know we may disagree on a passage or two. One that's interesting. And that's second- such a good point. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean, I didn't mean to step on your thought, brother. I I I just want to kind of acknowledge the power of something that you just said, and 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 I think so often we we focus on that word truth as if we have to agree on every point. Whereas when the New Testament talks about truth, yes, to your point, there there are lesser truths or smaller truths or truths that are also true, but the great truth is Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And so that truth of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and that we are saved as a gift that God has given us, that's the truth that unifies us as opposed to the way we tend to treat that was, you know, if I figure out all of the little clues and and I make all of the right inferences, then we can have unity. It's like, no, no, no. Our unity is established by this one great big truth. That's why we we have to be right, understand that that reality and that truth. But around that truth, that grace and that mercy that God has extended to us, and that on that basis, you and I both are in Christ Jesus, not because of our right understanding, but because of what he's done for us. It, it, you're you're right. I think that that underpinning of grace changes almost every conversation, but certainly this one. So I I apologize for for stepping in on your thought there, but but just such a such an important thing. No, what you said is is exactly right. I mean, I'm just throwing out scriptures here, but if you go back to Ephesians two and read the whole chapter, and what's he going to? He's going to the cross. And he says we're unified by the cross. Mm-hmm. You know there. And so that grace, you know, that what, what unifies us is, is, is the cross, and that makes us one. Yeah. Um, and another one that's interesting is 2 Timothy 2, uh, 23 and 24, where Paul is, is talking to Timothy. He says, you know, have nothing to do with controversies, nothing to do with quarrels. Um, but, you know, then he gives him some kind of positive instructions. He says, be kind to everyone. And then at the very end, he says, patiently enduring evil. Man, that's a that's something we don't like. I don't want to do that, you know, but I can think of an example within the congregation I serve. There was a um, an African-American couple who came here in the 50s, school teachers, wonderful, godly couple. They came to the church here in LaGrange, um, wanted to worship here. And the church said, no, you can't. Hmm. And so they went up the road 20 miles to um, Giddings, Texas, and there was a black congregation there and they worshiped there for a few years. But then after a few years, they came back and they talked again. And this time the church let them in. That couple has done wonderful things in this town, wonderful things for the church. We are a mixed congregation now because of that couple. And they, I think, patiently endured that great horrific wrong you know, that should have never happened. And because of that, there is, you know, we're a uh, mixed congregation now. Lots of people have been converted. Lots of people have been saved because they are willing to do that. But but how often do we not want to do that? We're just going to say, well, I'm done, with, I'm done with them. Let me go up the road. I'm never going to talk to them again. You know, um, what a blessing they are to our congregation. Um, I think sometimes when it comes to unity, we want to put the burden or the blame on others, but God often puts the burden on us. He says, you patiently endure evil, you know, or John 17, 
you get unified so the world can see you, you know, and I think it would be helpful if we begin to think that way, that every time we talk about division, we think, oh, well, that's because so-and-so over there, if they would get right, then we could be unified. But we have to turn around and think about ourselves and what can I do um, to, to be unified. There, there are lots of others. I'll just throw this one out there. I don't know what to do with this one, but 1 Corinthians 12, 3, uh, no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. I don't know what to do with that, but I think it's one that we need to wrestle with and need to spend some time talking about. Matthew 5, blessed are the peacemakers. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 18, we're given to the ministry of reconciliation. Um, Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, you know, lists the things that God hates there. And one of the things that God hates that he calls an abomination are, are those who sow discord. You know, and you can just go on and on. Like I said, I, I would encourage anyone listening to this to just open up your Bible and begin to look at passages on unity and division. They're all over the place. Yeah. Oh, wow, Scott. Such such great points. <laughs> so many things that I'd like to go back and and revisit and sort of unpack. But but just such an amazing thought there. Uh, all those ideas about putting the emphasis on us and what we can do, because you're so right. So often we blame division on everyone else when there's so many passages of scripture that talk about bearing with one another. <laughs> and as I often remind people, you know, I, I don't have to bear with my wife. Like I almost never have to bear with my wife. My wife has to bear with me quite a bit, but I never have to bear with my wife. I enjoy being with my wife. I, I love being with my wife. It's never a burden, but with everybody else, including my children, I have to bear with them. I have to put up with them. That means that there's going to be plenty of times where they do things that are hard and difficult, and they're just they're they're hard to get along with. They're they're sinful. They're and and so are we. And and we have to bear with each other. And we have to have what I like to call tenacious unity. We've got to hold on to each other and not have this fragile unity that's so easily broken that just says. I love the story that you told, and I just can't help but be overwhelmed with love for people like that that couple who would who would want to be at a place where there's any question about whether or not they're wanted there. How many of us would put ourselves in a situation where people have made it known you're not really wanted here? And yet they they put themselves there because they knew that's where Jesus wanted them to be, and their influence made that place a better place. Whereas we're we're all so quick to say, well, if you don't want me, or you don't agree with me, or you don't like me, or I don't like you, I'm just going to go find some other place. Whereas Scripture teaches us to bear with each other, and welcome each other, and love each other, and bear each other's burdens. There's just so much there that we we've taken the emphasis off of those doctrines and put it on these other doctrines that might also be important, but but there's so much weight that is given to these these ideas that we have to continue to practice. You know, one last thing before I turn it back over to you, but you brought up the Lord's Supper, and I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, right before he gets to chapter 11, and he talks about the division there. He, in chapter 10, he says that He's talking about there being one loaf, one bread. And he says that because there's one bread, we are one body. There's there's like, you know, conversations around should that mean there's like literally one container within the church building or one loaf of bread within the church building? 
And I think that's kind of missing the point because he doesn't say because there's because we're unified, there's one bread. He says because there's one bread, because there's one cup. And he's talking the universal church because we're all doing this. This brings us together. This unifies us. It's Jesus that does this. And that reminder that this is what's significant and important. But we've fought and divided over how many times on Sunday can you take the Lord's Supper? How many times during a week can you take the Lord's Supper? Do you have to take it every week? And we divide over all of these questions where we're missing the biggest point. And the biggest point is there's one bread and one cup. And and because of that truth, there's one body and, and we've divided when it should have been bringing us together. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I'd like to speak about just very quickly is you talked about really what I think is a problem is people too easily just leaving when there's an issue, you know, that, that we're just going to, we're just going to go, we're not going to deal with it. And I think one of the things we're missing out here on is that God is at work within the church. And there's a reason why he called us to be a body. And it's not easy. I mean, you just open up your Bible and then read all the issues in Israel, read all the letters that Paul writes. There's no perfect churches out there. They all have problems. They all have issues. But part of the part of why God, I think, wants us to be a part of community is working through these issues. We are being sanctified. You know, that, that something is happening within us. We are, if we do it the right way, if we do it biblically, we're becoming more like Christ. And if we just get upset every time and just say, hey, I'm going down the road, I'm not putting up with this, then we're missing out on opportunities to be transformed into the image of Jesus. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, brother. As we kind of wind this down and as we think we've talked a lot about some of the negative things as well as some of the scriptures but if you if you could sort of paint for us a, a positive hopeful picture of the future of what it what it might look like what it could look like what it should look like if we were to embrace these biblical truths and and these things we've talked about what what might it look like if we if we kept the momentum going in the right direction and we embraced the these biblical truths and, and move forward in a, in a positive unified way. Yeah. And, and I certainly want to offer a word of hope here. Um, I think we have to go back to John 17, John 17, verse 21, Jesus says we are to be one. We are to be unified so that the world may believe that you sent me. So if we did this, the world could believe many people could come to Christ People who were once lost could be saved. Um, you know, we could, we, and if you just take that further, we could make the world a better place. We could make the world better for our kids and grandkids. You know, if we focus on this unity and the world saw us and they believed because of it. Um, I, I think also we could teach our children a more biblical and healthier view of Christianity. Christianity is not about fighting with others. You know, that, that's, there, there are some people, that's all they know. You know, Christianity is about following Jesus. It's about acknowledging Jesus as Lord. And it's understanding that um, the, the love and grace that God has shown us were to go and show this love and grace for others. I, I also think 
that we have to at least consider what does division do to us as human beings? I referenced earlier John chapter 8, but you think about that story there where the woman who's um, caught in the act of adultery. And you have these individuals who are just looking at the world through this sort of us versus them. And they're just wanting to win an argument. They're just wanting to get at Jesus. And, and think about this. I mean, it's, it's easy for us to kind of step back, but they are willing to kill somebody or willing to have someone killed in order to win an argument with Jesus. What does division do to us? If we really, you know, look at that and try to heal ourselves, you know, or, or not really heal ourselves, have Jesus heal us, I think we can become better people, you know, uh, people that don't allow bitterness and hatred and division to live in our hearts. And so we can, um, you know, have transformed communities that, that, that look like Jesus, that are lights to, you know, the, the communities and towns that we live in and, and really make a difference in this world. Yeah. Oh, what a what a great hopeful word. And and I appreciate how you've brought up John 17 several times. And and I love that that picture that that Jesus prays for and paints for us of the unity of all believers and that unity being a proclamation of the unity between the Father and the Son. You know, it it occurred to me as you were talking, it occurred to me that we often point out Paul's um metaphor. Uh, in Ephesians about husbands and wives and how the relationship between a husband and a wife is supposed to be this picture and proclamation to the world about the relationship between Jesus and the church. But Jesus says that's also true that the relationship between Wes and Scott and the relationship between all believers is supposed to send this message to the world of who, that Jesus really is the Son of God, that only only deity, only a supernatural transformation could do such a thing, could bring such unity. And that only happens when people who are very different, people, multi-ethnic people, multilingual people, multinational people, people with different views and perspectives and backgrounds and cultures come together and are one. And I think sometimes we forget that our unity not only comes from our doctrine, but it's actually a proclamation of our doctrine that we could argue all day long about the nature of the Trinity and the relationship between the Father and the Son. But Jesus says our our unity is supposed to paint that picture of, of the, the relationship and the oneness between the Father and the Son. And, and I'm afraid we haven't done that very well, but I, I love this picture that you've painted of, of hopeful hopeful endurance that if we will embrace this and live this out, this is exactly the message we'll send to the world. Yeah. I think no one would disagree that we live in a very divided world right now, but what I think that presents is a great opportunity for the church. If we can focus on Jesus and be unified, then this divided world uh, is going to look at us and say, Hey, what's going on there? They're going to begin to ask questions and hopefully uh, we're ready and willing to give them the answer. Amen. Amen. I don't know of a better place to end than that. So thank you, Scott, for your time today and for the work that you're doing there and for your work in the in the kingdom of God. I appreciate you, brother. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me on. 
Thank you so much for being part of the Radically Christian Bible Study Podcast today. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode. I want to give a special thanks to Travis Pauly and to our McDermott Road Church family for making this podcast possible. As always, we love you, God loves you, and we hope that you have a wonderful day.